So what we're coming up with is a solution that's contained, that we're not going to produce all this toxic waste. It's not going to use a lot of energy to melt it down. And, and then we're able to process it here in the United States and follow environmental regulation. Welcome to the show. It's the Indie Bio Killer of the Week podcast. It's your host, Wesley Dang. For those of you new to the show, Killer of the Week is an internal competition in the Indie Bio program where our founders go head to head to see who has made the most progress in the past seven days. And today, we're going to be talking about metals and mining and electric vehicles and end of life electronics and geopolitical risk in our supply chains and all that fun stuff you probably don't get to talk about with your friends, uh, probably, but you do get to talk about here with us. So let's get started. I want to start off by telling you a story. Long story short, I got a $280 speeding ticket driving in a national park. And the reason why is because I rented a Tesla and I got a little too excited. And it made me really think about how is it that this electric vehicle can go so much faster than traditional gas-powered car? And it made me realize something that I think escapes a lot of people's attention, which is that somewhere along the kinetic chain between electrical energy and kinetic energy, there is a part here that isn't touching each other. Now just think about that because in a traditional gas-powered car, you have this engine and it has a bunch of chambers where there are tiny explosions that drive a piston up and down. That piston moves another metal part and that moves another metal part and that makes a wheel move. And all of those things are touching each other. But in an electric vehicle, that electric energy turns into a magnetic force which moves a powerful and durable magnet, which is called a permanent magnet, and then makes the wheels move because of that. And it really makes me think about the role that permanent magnets are going to play in our future if we truly are going to decarbonize and if we are going to make it an electrified future. There are going to be so many parts that have to convert electrical energy into kinetic energy, or, or maybe even the other way around, to go from kinetic energy to electrical energy like a windmill does. Sorry, I mean a wind turbine. Those things also need magnets. And if this is a story about magnets, this is also a story about the elements that make up a magnet. The rare earth elements, neodymium, dysprosium, ytterbium, and all of these elements, unfortunately, are not refined in the U.S. And that presents an interesting supply chain problem here. Most rare earth elements are refined in China. It's somewhere like 85%, maybe even more. Maybe the rest of it is in a country that is economically dependent on China. And so with that kind of geopolitical risk, with you know, U.S.-China tensions, and then also the fact that industrial and consumer trends are moving towards electrification. We're going to need more electric vehicles. We're going to need more of the rotors that make those electric vehicles move. We're going to need more wind turbines to increase our renewable energy supply. We're going to need a lot more permanent magnets. So where are we going to get them? And here's the funny thing about the rare earth elements. They're not actually that rare. 
they're pretty abundant in the Earth's crust. It's just the fact that the concentrations are so low that it's really hard to extract them. And it's a very toxic process. So toxic that the U.S. essentially doesn't allow any of that refining to happen here because of our strict environmental regulations. And so we pass the buck off to someone else, some poorer country who will take on those externalities. And so the company that we're going to be talking about today has a solution to recover and refine rare earth elements, not with toxic chemicals, but with a biological method, not with organic solvents, but with aqueous solutions, making this so safe that you can do this in your kitchen. And that's going to change everything. All right, so we're here in a little tiny phone booth at the IndieBio office. I'm sitting here with Jessica and Yvonne from Metal X Biocycles, and we'll just call it Metal X for short. Jessica, why don't you tell me what Metal X does and, and what problem is Metal X solving? We're solving the problem of not recovering rare earth elements from end-of-life electronics. So currently, it's not economical to recover such small amounts of metals from mixed materials. The very materials that, that we use in our iPhones and our green technologies and our EVs and wind turbines, those rare earth elements from those magnets are not recovered currently because the only alternative is smelting. And when you smelt the material, it's very carbon intensive. That takes a lot of energy. The cost is very high. Additionally, you run into the issue of having to separate the rare earth elements from each other. And that is a lot of the, the technical bottleneck that we run into when separating these elements from each other. So that's why it's not currently done at a large scale. And that's what we're working to do is really use a biological approach to separating rare earth elements from end of electronics and EV vehicles for reuse and recycle so that to minimize the impact from mining, mining for virgin materials. Okay. I find it really weird that you didn't frame the problem as like, you know, geopolitical risk on the supply chain of, you know, very critical minerals that the U.S. has listed, or maybe even the environmental externalities of mining for rare earth elements. I, I saw this statistic that, you know, every ton of rare earth elements that we extract, we produce 2,000 tons of toxic waste in that area. And, and you focus on the recycling part of this, on, on the e-waste and end-of-life electronics. And I don't know what you're imagining. I'm imagining like, old keyboards and rotary telephones. And is that what you're imagining as end-of-life electronics also? Like, how, how do you convince me that e-waste is the real problem that you're going after? E-waste is a problem on, on a few levels. So it, when electronics come to the end of life, especially modern electronics, high-tech electronics are full of valuable materials limited geological resource, things that have to be mined. So when we throw something away, you don't just throw it away. You're throwing away all of the resources that went into making that, that thing, that iPhone, that laptop, that electric vehicle, very mineral rich 
that took a lot of energy to make, a lot from the earth. The, the impact from mining is, is substantial in the communities that have to deal with it. So there's that problem. The problem is that you're throwing away something that just has to be replaced by more mining. So that's exasperating the problem of mining and the environmental impact. Secondly, since there are no good ways of economically recovering these small amounts of metals from mixed materials, what ends up happening is that that waste has no value. So it gets shipped. Our trash gets shipped overseas to low-income communities in low-income countries where individuals will try to extract the value from there. There's tiny amounts of gold and platinum and copper in wires, and they can extract that, and then they do. They'll burn the plastics to get at copper from wires. They'll use strong acids to get at the gold from SIM cards. And that is polluting their environment, their water, their air. So much so that 80% of children in Guayu, China, it is a town where they deal with, where they process e-waste in an unregulated manner. 80% of children there who are not involved with e-waste processing have elevated blood lead levels. It leads to lead poisoning in these children. And so these are devastating effects. You cannot eat the fish in the river. There are no fish anymore in the river. So that's a problem. Okay, so let's switch gears here. And I want to talk about why you guys won Killer of the Week last week. And it's because of this very critical experiment that Yvonne, the chief scientific officer, stayed up 24 hours to do. And obviously, this is a very laborious experiment because, well, I'll have you explain it. What was the goal of the experiment that you did? And what are the implications of the results from this experiment? for you as a company? So I was, the experiment was to determine how these elements behave in solution, in water, because the current methods use uh, organic solvent. Uh, so we're trying to take a different approach, uh, exploring the chemical properties of these elements in solution, water solution. So I did some water chemistry experiments with these two elements, uh, neodymium and dysprosium, that they are very difficult to separate with current methods. And we determined some different pro properties of these elements in water, which will be useful for our process. It was a milestone for our company to develop and, and be able to do this separation uh, biologically. Okay, I see. I see. Okay, so one thing that I'm hearing is that it's always been done in organic solvents, and you're trying to do it in an aqueous solution, and that is obviously a much harder task. And the thing that you're trying to do here is not just extract it, extract the rare earth elements from you know, the rest of the ground or whatever, the ore, but you're also trying to find the differences between two very, very similar elements, neodymium, dysprosium, and those differences are going to be the things that you will eventually exploit in order to separate them using your biological method, right? So here's where I'm a little confused because, you know, we discovered rare earth elements like, you know, a hundred years ago or something. And in that time, has no one tried to characterize the differences between these two elements? 
Oh, well, I don't think it's that long, but if someone did that, it's not published. So as Jessica said, we are playing catch up. We, are, we have to do these basic chemistry experiments in the lab to determine this value so we can use in our setup. What are the differences that you found? Like, what are the different properties that you can now exploit? Is it visible by eye? I'm not, I'm assuming it's not because if it was, then you could, we would have found it by now. So you probably had to get it tested somewhere else, right? We have to get it tested somewhere else uh, to, to run a, um, an analysis in a specific instrument to determine the concentration of, of metal in solution. And to do that, we have to do this experiment in the lab with solution of metal. And this is like an experiment that takes like several hours to get the right conditions. And yeah, we, we've done this last week ran the analysis of this instrument and determined that these two elements that we are looking at, neodymium and dysprosium, they have basic properties that we can exploit. So in a way, you're taking two very, very similar rare earth elements, neodymium, dysprosium, right next to each other on the periodic table. It's almost like the gold standard in terms of separation. And so you found these critical numbers from your experiment that now you can exploit and and now you can use it to separate these two elements from each other. So, so what does that mean now for the overall process that you're inventing for, for biomining these rare earth elements? So this is really important because now we can use these values in our next step in our production, in our pipeline, which is the biofiltration. So when we have our filter by our biofilter, we will use different properties, you know, to be able to separate the two elements that we are looking at, the neodymium and prosium. Okay. So let's imagine that there's like a progress bar from zero to a hundred, a hundred being you're, you're at full proof of concept. You're ready to scale up. Where are you on this scale because of this experiment? In terms of success, success rate, I would say 80%. But this is not a timeline. Just being able to to demonstrate that the process is feasible gets us from 20% to 80%. But then there's some time for us to characterize everything and get to the 100%. But I say this is a very, very big jump in our whole process. This is incredible. I'm, I'm super excited for you because I can't wait for there to be a future where Mining doesn't have to be associated with these toxic chemical processes that pollute our environment. And instead, we can think of mining as something that is, you know, only just as toxic as my dishwashing detergent, or maybe even less, maybe even like my organic plant-based laundry detergent, or maybe even just lemon juice. Like, I'm trying to imagine this solar punk future where we can use completely biological reagents to extract our natural resources. And obviously there's, you know, going to be some problems with, you know, natural resource extraction, but this cleans it up dramatically in terms of negative externalities. So I want you to talk about what you're going to have by demo day. What should investors be excited about now that you're at 80%, what are you going to show when you get to 100%? We'll be able to demonstrate that in a few steps, we are going to go from magnet and then we will dissolve this magnet in a solution 
And then we will be able to use our bio filter to filter out everything that we don't want, and get only what we want, which is the components of the magnets, which are the rare earth elements. And then we will have these to either sell to manufacturers or ultimately build our own magnets. And that's what we're really excited about is in the coming months, we do have plans to have a proof of concept going for magnet manufacturing. So instead of taking our refined materials and shipping them off to be printed by someone else into magnets, we are excited to, to explore this option and become the magnet manufacturer to have a fully circular. Because so what we are demonstrating in the lab is that we are able to take a magnet and then dissolve it in solution and then use our biofilter to select uh, the metals that we want, and then in the future, be able to manufacture our own magnets. And this is going to be done in a few steps. So we are going to cut down like hundreds of steps of steps in the lab and doing a process that is uh, cost efficient time in, time in terms of time. And also it's not pollutant. It's not as much less toxicity. So we are cutting down a lot of steps in the lab, very fast, very uh, cost efficient. Jessica, Yvonne, Thank you so much for coming on the show. And that's it for today. If you guys want to learn more about the future of mining, go to IndieBio.co and search Metal X. That's the letter X. And next time you're using your headphones or your computer or driving an electric vehicle, I want you to think about the role that magnets play in our everyday lives. So. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and we'll see you next week on the podcast.